Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair And tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there Who made an end to all my sin Because a sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied Looked on him and pardoned me Who looked on him and pardoned me spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am the king of glory and of grace one himself I cannot die my soul is purchased by his blood my life is hid with Christ on high my Christ my Savior and my God with Christ my Savior and my God sing hallelujah Son 
Properly. Improperly. Not selfish. It's not provoked and does not keep a lot of wrong. Love finds no joy. Love finds no joy in, in unrighteousness. Unrighteousness, but rejoices. Rejoices. In the truth. In the truth. Face to face, now I know in part. But then I shall know, just as I also am known, and now abide faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. All right. <clears throat> that's hard to follow. That's, that's hard to follow. That is adorable. I love those kids. Gabriel, Nathan, Eliza, great job. Thank you for reading the Word of God for us this morning. And that is the Word of God. That is the word that God has spoken to us this morning as we wrap up the last Sunday in our equipping series, as Kevin and Slynn mentioned. Here we are in this last week, and my, my hope as we've come through this series, my hope for myself as well as for you all, is that this would be a time where we have been challenged to become more a part of the church as God has designed it, to, to recognize, to realize that, that God has deemed it important for us to be not just participants, not, not being participants in this body of, uh, uh, of believers, but contributors to the believers and the church that God has designed. Over the past few weeks, we learned that the, that the purpose of the church is to work in cooperation with one another, to, to actually build up this, this body of believers in unity and maturity. Maturity in faith, maturity in being like Jesus and walking in his way. That, that God's design and his desire for his church is that no child of God would be left behind. 
That, that we wouldn't be so concerned about building up our knowledge and maturity that we neglect to care for those who need to be brought along, who, who need uh, help understanding the word, who need help knowing how they fit into the body of Christ. There is no child of God left behind. And that we all recognize that we play a key role in the church. We play a very important role. It's not that because I'm a toe, I'm less important than the eye. They're all valuable and indispensable and needed. That's how God has designed his church. And as we think about the effect, the outcome, the the purpose and the mission of the church, we come to understand that, that his purpose is that as we are gathered together in unity and maturity, as we're being uh, made available to let him empower us and use the spiritual gifts in our lives and make, him known, make himself known, that the world sees Jesus. But more specifically than, than Jesus, they see the love of God. And so this morning... It's important that we spend some time talking about this one more key ingredient that Paul points the uh, Corinthian church uh, to in his letter to the Corinthians. In fact, if you were to step back a little bit and look at the different chapters we have in Corinthians, there's this this, uh, language from chapter 12 to chapter 14 where Paul is addressing this division in the church and the spiritual gifts in the church and and really what God's design and desire is for the different people in the church. And there in 12, we we studied last week, it's this idea of knowing that these gifts are important, that each person is is valuable to the church. Chapter 14 looks at at addressing the the dysfunction of how the Corinthians were using spiritual gifts and how it was creating division, but then nestled in between the meat of the sandwich, the the weightiness and and, and the most excellent of things is nestled between these two pieces of bread. The ham and the cheese of our sandwich today is God's love. See, this isn't some wishy-washy feeling of love. This isn't necessarily some romantic love that gives us butterflies in our stomach. This is a powerful, life-changing, risky way of life, the way of love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. In other words, there are three things that you can expect to carry with you into eternity. Faith, hope, and love. And and the greatest of these eternal characteristics is love, right? The, The spiritual gifts that we've been exploring, there will come a time when those gifts will pass away, but they'll pass away because there will be no more need for them, because we'll be standing face to face with Jesus. We won't need to hear through a prophet what he has said. We won't need to receive care and encouragement from someone because we have Jesus right there caring for us and encouraging us, loving us. We'll be in the presence of love. There will come a time when the spiritual gifts will will pass away. But love is the most excellent way because it, it... it's an eternal characteristic. We, we will live in this love for all eternity. But also because love is what defines God. Love is what defines the, the life that we're inv- invited into. Love is what should give shape to and define the church. And what's most important to the church is not one gift over another. 
It's not saying that the, the pastor, the preacher, is most important. Yeah, we value and uphold the preaching of the Word of God, but me as a person, I'm not more important than the next. Right? We don't hold up one person because of their gift over another, but we, we focus in on this aspect of this way of life, this, this love that Jesus has invited us into. Now, we were reminded last week that, that all gifts are indispensable. All people of the body of Christ are indispensable to God's plan for this world. But to understand that, to understand the mystery of the church, to understand how we are to overcome our differences, how we are to navigate conflict, how we are to, to, to handle our own preferences, there's, there's something like a, 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 a cipher that we need, right? The church is a little bit like a coded message to this world. And we need a cipher to understand what that coded message means. And that cipher is love. Kids, I, I don't know if, if this has been your experience, but I know that when we get the really yummy cereals at home, uh, they usually come with little challenges on the back. And sometimes it's a, it's a word puzzle, right? And where the letters should be, there's a blank line made with a little picture over it. And what you need is you need a key to help you understand what that missing word is. You need a key that says that this picture represents this letter. And when you look at that key, that word comes into clarity. You see the word that fills in that line. And that key, that key, kids, to help us understand the word puzzle in the back of our cereal box is love. Paul's been using the picture of a human body to depict the church. But even still, there's a bit of a mystery as to how the body works together for God's purposes. It's a, it's a body that, that represents a church in such a way that each member represents a, a much needed and necessary part of the body. Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at the tail end of the last chapter we were in, uh, starting in verse 27, it says, Now you are the body of, the, of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? You know, and, and if, I could, if I could insert Paul's answer in there, because he was asking that question knowing the, the answer, is no. People don't, aren't all apostles. They're, they're not all working miracles. They're not, not all teachers. They don't all possess gifts of healing or speaking in tongues or interpreting tongues. They don't all have the gift of administration. Praise God. I don't have to feel bad about myself because I'm not good at administrating ministry, right? That's, that's an example from my life, by the way. What's, what's the example in your life? Maybe you've been made to feel like you're less than a follower of Christ because you don't have that gift. You don't have fill-in-the-blank gift. But the reality is, you don't have to have that gift. God has deemed it necessary to give you a gift. And if it wasn't that gift, it doesn't mean that you're less valuable to him. See, Paul here, in this, in this part of our passage, he's reminding the church. He's, he's emphatically saying, hey, you church, wake up. You're the church. Each and every one of you, you are the church. You are members of the church. Wake up. Be who you're supposed to be. Right? I mean, early on in the letter that Paul writes, he 
points out the fact that there's a bunch of division, a bunch of griping and arguing and division that's going on in the, the church there in Corinth. And, and as this is expanding and growing, he needs to insert himself into this argument and say, listen, stop it. Stop your bickering. Focus on what's true. You are the church. Here's what the church is. Be this. Don't be that. Right? Are we like that? When we think about the church, I mean, if you think back on places where things have gone awry, when you've experienced difficulty in the church, maybe it's an argument that someone had with you. Maybe someone was offended by something, and you just don't want to have to go say sorry to them. And so pride gets in the way. Maybe, maybe it's a matter of you feel like, man, everyone's on the in-group and I'm on the outside. I don't have anything to contribute. This church doesn't love me. And we, and we point fingers there. No, the church has responsibility together to come together. We each play a role in the unity and the maturity of the church. And so Paul challenges them. He challenges the church in Corinth. Hey, be united of the same mind and judgment. I just ask again, what, what do we need to be emphatically reminded of? What, what do we need someone to speak into our world and say, Hey, Trinity, wake up. You, you're the church. You know what you need to be. See, for the Corinthian believers, they'd forgotten this. They had become so consumed with, with their preferences, with their desires, with their division, with their, their kind of posturing and, and making themselves more important than the next, that they had forgotten God's desire for them, that they would be a united church, growing in maturity, uh, the maturity of Jesus. See, they were arguing most commonly in this letter over the spiritual gift of tongues. Now, tongues has a, a way of creating a unique problem because tongues really means, uh, it could mean uh, angelic languages, but it could also just mean uh, various uh, ethnic languages, right? If someone speaks French, I speak English. Uh, it's hard to have a united relationship there when we don't understand one another, right? There's, there's a natural division that happens when two people come together and they're speaking different languages. And so, Tongues was creating a problem in the, the, uh, the Corinthian church because people were speaking either gibberish or, or, or it was an actual angelic language or it was a, another language of another nationality and, and people were not figuring out how to come together. They were saying, hey, you have to figure out how to listen to me. There was no interpreters. They were misusing the gift of tongues. And so we had this problem of division, but not only was there this natural division because of the gift of tongues here in the Corinthian church, but it was also because people were, were, were using it in high-profile settings, not as uh, for God's purposes, but for their own, to stroke their own ego, to make themselves look better, to make themselves look bigger. <laughs> God's saying, that is not at all why I gifted you all spiritual gifts. See, I think there's a certain end to uh, our exercising of our spiritual gifts like that, and we'll talk about it briefly in a minute. But, but I think when we use our gifts not for God's purposes but for our own, man, we, we know when we get exhausted. It's tiring because we're not using those gifts in God's strength. We're using them in ours, and our strength gets depleted, and we burn out, we become bitter, 
And we wonder, why, aren't the, why, why don't I feel more valuable and a contributor to the church that God is establishing? Rather than unity and maturity in the church, rather than a shared mission to take Jesus and make him known into, in the world around them, the church was characterized by this, this spirit of comparison and a spirit of condescension. That's, we don't want that, right? I don't want that for our church. I don't think God wants that for his church. A spirit of comparison, of, uh, of, of condescension, of a spirit of, of clickiness, right? We've seen those. We've seen clicks in Christian circles, haven't we? And, and it may not always be because of spiritual gifts, but, but let this be a warning that our spiritual gifts, the exercise of our spiritual gifts, can easily create a division when we use them in such a way that we place ourselves apart and make ourselves uh, uh, indispensable, right? We don't make ourselves indispensable. We're ind- God has declared that we're indispensable to him. See, they were lost as a church. And so Paul offered them a better way. Listen to what he says in verse 31 of chapter 12. He says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. See, He's not necessarily saying that these spiritual gifts are bad. In fact, he's saying, hey, go ahead. You can desire those spiritual gifts. It's appropriate to desire to know which spiritual gifts God has given you and to see them be exercised in your life. In fact, it's healthy to long to see God's power at work in and through your life. It's right to, to recognize that it's actually God who works in you. It's okay to desire these higher gifts. Don't forget that when Paul was writing to the believers in Philippi, he reminded them that it's God who works in them, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's good to, to, to desire these spiritual gifts to be at work in our lives, but there's still a more excellent way. If your aim is for these spiritual gifts, then you're not aiming high enough. Because there's something that stands above and outside of spiritual gifts that is so much better. And that way is the way of love. Now, when, I believe when Paul talks about this more excellent way, it's quite possible that he has this Hebrew word, a term uh, called halakha in mind, right? It's, it's this term that which, which translates as walking. And within the, the nation of Israel, this walking had significance for them. Broadly speaking, it refers to the teaching that God's people were called to follow and live by. For the Old Testament nation of Israel, it was the law that God had given to Moses on Mount Sinai that they were taught to follow and live by. When they traveled through the wilderness, they were led by a a pillar of fire by night and, and, and a cloud by day. They literally walked with God. Very same law that, that Moses was called to pass on to them. We're told in Deuteronomy that the people of Israel were actually taught to, to not just think about, but to, to teach to their children, to talk about in their house, and to discuss as they walk by the way when they lie down or rise. As I mentioned, walking with God and following his way is a theme in the Old Testament. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Moses walked with God. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're we're told this of Israel. God says to Israel, And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk 
in all his ways, to love him, to serve, uh, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. See, this idea of walking in the way, it's a reflection of our behavior. It's the way we, we are living our lives. It's, it's the way that we are uh, walking in life with God. Is Israel obeying God and walking in his path? Are the people walking in the life God would have for them? The psalmist prays, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And when he does that, he's making the statement that God's word illuminates and guides his followers in this life. Paul uses this language in a number of letters to other churches. It's not just here in Corinth that he challenges them to walk in a better way. He, he, he encourages them in, in different letters like Ephesians where, where he encourages them to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you've been called. There's a, a life that God invites us into. And it, it's not a, a, a list of to-dos. It's a relationship where we have Jesus going before us and he's inviting us along with him. He's saying, come with me, Dan. I'll show you the way. I'll help you along the way. Right? In Matthew, Jesus invites us to to come to him, all who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Right? In that passage, he talks about sharing Jesus' yoke. That idea of, of rest in Jesus is a Savior who empowers us to walk in this way with him. It's not empowered to do it in our own ability, our own strength, but, but he gives us the power and strength and the faith to follow him in this way, the way of love. So what Paul points out in a very subtle way is that for those of us walking along the way of Jesus, our, our walk will not be judged based on the law, but on love. Our walk will not be based on whether we have one of the more special spiritual gifts Our life will not be judged based on our works, but on the the character of God formed in us, which is love. And so in this first letter, the Apostle John writes these words in chapter 4. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know love, or sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Now, if as we learned from Paul last week, our our spiritual gifts are the manifestation of God's Spirit, His power and His presence with us, then what should be most visible when He's manifested? It should be the character of His love, the essence of His character. See, when my gifts are being used in my life, who do people see? Do they see Dan being lifted up, being, making a big deal of himself and puffing up his chest? Or do they see the love of God in Jesus who's at work in Dan? Do, do people see Jesus humbling Dan? And do they see Dan surrendering to Jesus the gifts and the talents and the abilities and treasures that God has blessed him with? Or do they see a man making much of himself, saying, look at me, look what I can do. See, what people should see is love in the exercising of our spiritual gifts. 
Not just see, but they should experience and, and understand that there is a more excellent way just beyond these gifts. That, that these gifts are a manifestation of something far greater than, what, than, than Dan. They're a manifestation of God's love. But when our intent in using our gifts is anything other than God, these gifts are empty. They're, 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 they're meaningless. They're, they've got no substance. And as we mentioned before, they oftentimes result in feeling drained and, and just empty yourself. I mean, can, can you relate to that? Can, can you relate to the idea of serving others and wanting to bring meals or clean up someone's yard or give someone a ride or deliver something to them? And, and all of a sudden you find yourself saying, ah, this is frustrating, I'm done with this. Or, or, or just getting bitter inside. Can you relate to that? Here, here's what I would say. I would, I would just take a moment to challenge you to understand you're not alone, first of all, and there's not something particularly wrong with you. But I would encourage you that where I've seen that happen in my life, I had neglected to care for my own soul. I had neglected to care for my relationship with Jesus. I was no longer rooted in serving along with Jesus and going with him I was serving in my own power, my own ability. I, I, I was kind of carving my own path, saying, hey, it feels good to do this for people, so I'm going to keep doing it. Not pausing to ask Jesus, Jesus, how do you want me to spend my time this day? There may have been a whole list of people who could have served that need, but I stepped in when I shouldn't have, when I should have spent time with you, reading your word, spending time in prayer, maybe even... Maybe, maybe he'd even draw my attention to something more important. The key is, the, 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 the reason I'm saying this is, there are times when we feel drained in using our spiritual gifts. And to me, when we start to see that bitterness bubble up, when we start to feel that exhaustion, I think it's worth it to step back and to ask the question, how goes it with my soul and, and God? What's going on in here that has me rooted in serving in my own strength, my own ability, and not paying attention to where Jesus is inviting me to go? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and, I deliver, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, without love, I'm a, a painfully disgusting noise. I mean, you think about... You think about someone running their fingernails over a chalkboard and it just turns your stomach, right? It just gives you, ugh. I don't even want to think about it because I know that the, it's a visceral feeling of disgustingness. If I, if, I, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong. If I have the gift of prophecy or knowledge or faith but, but no love... I'm nothing. Now pay attention to that for a moment because it's not saying that the gift is meaningless. It's saying I am nothing. 
I'm not a healthy and contributing member of the body of Christ if I have not love. If I stand up here and teach and preach but don't have love, well, then I'm not worthy or healthy enough to be up here as your pastor. I need to step down myself and to evaluate my relationship with Christ. Where am I not listening to you, Jesus? Where have I, where have I stepped off the way of love and started following my own path rather than following you, Jesus? See, in the exercise of our gifts, either we're driven by and led by love or we're nothing. So what does the community of the church look like when we're committed to walking this way of love? Let's say that we are walking this way of love. What does that look like? How do I know that I'm on the way of love with Jesus? Well, Paul helps us with this. Look at verses 4 through 7 of our passage. He says this, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, by the way, if you're just now logging into our live stream, you have not inadvertently stepped into a wedding. This is actually a worship service, and we're looking at a passage that Paul intended to be first and foremost a passage that shapes who the church is. Now, that's not to say that as a husband and wife gets married as followers of Christ, that they cannot uh, recognize the love that they have for one another is first and foremost shaped by God himself. And so it's appropriate to go to this passage. But we also have to remember that when Paul wrote this passage, he was speaking to a church. Because God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He's not self-serving. He's not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing. God rejoices with the truth. God bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. But here's the thing. If Paul's writing to a church, a church who, who he desires will grow in unity and maturity and, and empower, uh, sorry, exemplify Christ in the midst of their community, then he also cares that they don't just know what God is. A picture of God we have from 1 John, but it's actually a picture for us. John, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John 4, verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. Well, guess what, church? If we live through Jesus, we live through God's love. And so Paul's description of love is a description of the church as the embodiment of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So what we need to understand, church, is that the church is patient and kind. The church does not envy or boast. The church is not arrogant or rude. The church is not self-serving. The church is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. The church rejoices with the truth. The church bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I mean, church, look at the world around us. 
Our world needs to see Jesus in our midst. Our world needs to see a church who is day by day asking, are we walking in this most excellent way of love? Are we putting other things like our spiritual gifts over this way of love that God has invited us into where we walk a path and be conformed to the image of Jesus who is the Son of God? And this image has as its characteristic love. Are we walking in this way? Uh, does the world see a church characterized first and foremost by love? Or, or do they see us bickering and fighting? Do, do they see a church that's jockeying for their own wants and needs? Do they, do they see a church that, uh, that as it responds to uh, the, the pain and the, the brokenness in our world is arrogant or rude? Is it, is it ir- easily irritable? When people look into the church, do they see people uh, arguing over why they're right and why the culture's wrong? Let me just say this. I understand upholding truth. I, am, I, I absolutely desire to walk in orthodoxy, the right ways of knowing and living out God's truth. But I also understand that God is the author of truth. He is the master of truth. He's the owner of truth. He is truth. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so if that's true then I, I trust that he's in control. I don't need to win this fight and, and push people away from the church. God's invited me to walk in this way of love and that in doing so, I believe the, the world will see Jesus in our midst. See, what the the world needs to see, they they need to see that the church is not self-serving. They need to see the church is rejoicing with the truth. They need to see a church that's willing to bear all things, hope all things, endure all things. The world needs to see an example of perseverance in a community that has their hope in Jesus outside this community. See, we we don't need to win these cultural arguments. Why? Because we trust God is big enough. God is, God's plan is going to be worked out whether I win this argument or not. Our world doesn't need to see Dan win an argument over who's right or who's wrong. Our world needs to see Jesus. But in order to do that as a church, we need to stay on this more excellent way, this way of love, and let God make himself visible in us and through our spiritual gifts that he's placed in our lives. Paul concludes this section on love by reminding his readers that, that love never ends. Love is like Twinkies that have this like unending shelf life, right? They never end. And when the day comes that Jesus returns to, to gather us into his eternal arms, when we will stand face to face to him, when, when we won't have this kind of blurred image of who Jesus is, this imperfect image of of God and eternity, those spiritual gifts will will go away. Spiritual gifts do have an end life. They do have have an expiration date, right? So what does that mean for us? That means we don't boast about what gifts we have. We don't place our confidence in, in how visible or desired my spiritual gifts are. 
And we don't have to be hard on ourselves because we don't have one of those more desired spiritual gifts. Church, don't boast about your gifts because your gifts are really nothing, nothing in comparison to what we'll have and experience when we stand before Jesus face to face, when we stand before the one who is the very definition of love. Desire something greater than spiritual gifts. Desire the way of love. Again, in verse 13, Paul says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you for the picture of love that that you gave us, that you sent your only son, that you sacrificed, that that's a picture of love, that you made the sacrifice on our behalf, that we might be invited to walk in this way of love with Jesus. Lord, I, I hope and pray this morning that we will all be able to hear that invitation to follow you on that way of love, that we don't have to be uh, better or good enough or, or uh, well-formed and, and, and righteous enough to join you on that way. That's why, that's why God sent his only son, to pay a price that we could not pay so that we might freely enter into this way of love with Jesus. Lord, I pray for your church. Unify us. Lord, build us up in maturity. May, may we not be uh, caught up in, uh, in getting distracted by meaningless things in this world, but Lord, may we focus on your truth. May we be united around your truth, the word of God. May we walk in your truth as we follow Jesus. And may the world see Jesus in us, at work in us, manifest in our spiritual gifts and in our community. And may you be glorified. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. spoke a word you were singing over me you've been so so good to me before I took a breath you breathed your life in me been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending Reckless love of God
was your fall, you brought your love to me. You've been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. Of a God, oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves a 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Yeah. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Come on, sing it again. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. love of God how it chases me down fights till I'm found leaves a 99 I couldn't it I don't deserve it still you give yourself away oh the overwhelming never ending reckless love of God let's sing that one more time So we come to the point in our worship where we have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So if you have juice or bread or something nearby, I would encourage you to go ahead and grab that now and and bring it out. And I want to challenge us to think about something. Think about times in your life that you rejoice with great joy 
over the love that you've experienced. We mentioned at one point, you know, a marriage, and you celebrate your wedding, and you think back on at every anniversary, you think back on your wedding day and the, the joy you celebrated that day. You, you think about uh, birthday parties or, or with your kids and uh, even those moments when you welcome the child into your family and into the world and you, just, you, you, you recognize there's these unique moments, these moments in history, this time in our world where you experience such an overwhelming memory of that love and joy. So it is with the Lord's Supper that, that this is not just something we do in the life of the church, but it's, it's that moment that we as believers trust that or we remember the the moment that we have been able to put our trust in Jesus because his death on our cross which is morbid and sad but it brings joy to us in that he defeated the grave and in defeating the grave he made a way into a new life a new life where we could follow Jesus down this most excellent way of love God said uh, John recorded that God loved the world so much that he gave us his only son, that he sent his son to this world. The expression of love by God is a sacrifice. Love is sacrificial, is it not? Where where we, out of such depth of love for others, that we make a, a sacrifice on our own behalf. The Bible tells us that there's no greater love than this, that he would lay down his life for his brothers. There's a sense that uh, our sacrifice for others, not, not something to give us a benefit, but to lay down our right to that benefit for others is an act of love. And so we, we realize that what Jesus has done on our behalf, his willingness to, to go to the cross, to be obedient to the Father, to bear the weight of our guilt and shame on his shoulders as he was put to death on a cross, so that that guilt and shame would be erased and no more. That is a sacrifice worthy of our love. And so when we come to the table this morning to celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want to encourage you to, to be filled with overflowing to the joy that, uh, with the knowledge of, of God's love for you. That, that the truth is, if we rejoice in the truth, we rejoice in the truth that you are an object of God's love. For those of you who haven't put your faith in Christ, I'd encourage you just to be prayerful in this moment, to not take of the bread or drink of the cup, because we want that to be an experience you have when you've put your faith in Christ, when you've entered into this most excellent way, when you've put your trust and said, yes, Jesus, I want to live in this new life that you have for me. And I realize the only entrance into that is believing that you made a way, that you, made, that you carved this path through your own death on the cross and your defeat of the grave. So let this moment pass you by, but also let it be an invitation. That if, if you sense God has put on your heart a desire to enter into this most excellent way, all it is is a matter of saying, yes, Jesus, I believe you've set this table for me. That you died on the cross for my sins. And I can now live in this most excellent way with you. I would encourage you to, 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 to pray that in the quietness of your own heart. And then, you know what? Do something silly for me, actually, before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Would you make mention of that? Just put it in the chat section if you feel, or, or email someone that you know in the chat and let them know of your decision. Because we love you, and we want to celebrate with you. We want to we come alongside you and help you grow in your knowledge of this most excellent way, this way of love.
And so it is that love that we are gathered around this table to celebrate. The love that God had for us in sending his only son. The love that Jesus had for the Father and for us in being obedient to the point of death on the cross. And though death is sad, we rejoice in the new life that's offered for us. So we're reminded then that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread when he was sitting around the table with his disciples, and he broke the bread, and he gave thanks for it, and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the bread, and he invited them to eat with him. Again, after the supper, he took the cup as well. And he said, this cup symbolizes the new covenant in my blood. Symbolizes a new way of life, a new relationship that that God has deemed appropriate through Jesus' death on the cross. Whenever you drink of this cup, rejoice. Think on this moment. Celebrate the new life you have in Christ. Remember and be grateful. And so Jesus said, drink in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much for your love. Your love made manifest through your Son, through your Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would come to understand that The Christian life is not about going to Sunday school, having 15 minutes of devotion, and going to church on Sunday morning, maybe serving somewhere in the week. The Christian lifestyle is a daily, moment-by-moment walk on a path with Jesus, where Jesus invites us further in and further up to the heart of God. Lord, thank you for making a way for us to have this celebration around this table to celebrate your love for us. Fill our hearts to overflowing with your love and grace and gratitude for what you have done on our behalf. We love you, Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, church, I want to thank you for joining us for worship this morning. And before we do close our time, I just want to encourage you to think about two things. Actually, two announcements, really, but two things. One, Uh, Let's continue to worship the Lord. Gather with us at 2 o'clock this afternoon. You can go on our website and sign up. It's a time of prayer. And this time is a time where we pray for one another. We pray for our world. We seek the Father's heart together. I encourage you to join us. It's a great time and a great way to carry on uh, what we're doing this morning into the rest of your day. And then also I want to let you know of a very cool opportunity we have next Sunday. We're going to be joining worship between Trinity and Crossroads Community Church in Trumbull. These two congregations will be coming together on Sunday morning to worship God together. It's a very special opportunity, not just because we're going to be reading the same passages or singing the same songs, but because it's a chance for us to be the body of Christ beyond these walls. So I want to let you know that you could prepare yourself, invite a neighbor, a friend, a family member to join you on Sunday morning, and know. And so now as we close our service, I want to give you uh, more from the Word of God. Receive this morning's benediction. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. Church, go and live along this most excellent way through Christ. Go in peace.